The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? This is the AP Laboratory for the week after beating down the Oakland Raiders. The Chiefs offense only needed one quarter to get it done this week. You may notice I am not Kent Swanson. I am Craig Stout. Coming to you a little gimpy. I have the ankle, the the low high ankle sprain of podcast injuries. I'm slowly losing my voice. So pay attention through the second quarter of this podcast. It's going to be fantastic if it's anything like Patrick Mahomes last week. But... Because Kent's gone, that means that I am surrounded by mats. Let's get to him first, coming at us from Carolina at Chief in Carolina. Maddie Lane. Maddie, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. I'm a little disappointed that when you said you were getting your Kent voice ready, you didn't give me a little bit more bass and a little bit more movie narrator. You just kind of <laughs> went in with normal Craig Stout, which is a beautiful voice, but I was expecting the Kent podcast voice which he very much throws on at the last second it's phenomenal but like craig said we are joined by another matt today the most handsome member of the nerd squad matt stagner's here how you doing today buddy all lies doing well guys how you, how you doing yeah everything's good here everything's good here we're gonna before we get into some questions we're gonna take care of some housekeeping up front here the kansas city chiefs did make a move today they cut defensive lineman Joey Ivey, and signed off of waivers from the Baltimore Ravens, Greg Sinat. He's an offensive tackle. Uh, He was picked up in the sixth round of last year's draft. He's a big guy, 6'6", 302, long arms. Uh, What do you you guys think of this move? Maddie? what do you think? So I think this is telling you a little bit more about the Chiefs' confidence in the current offensive tackle situation they have. Eric Fisher's injury may linger on a little bit longer than they feel comfortable with. They obviously don't love their tackle depth behind that for the simple fact that Ivy had been playing for the Chiefs. He wasn't playing significant snaps, but he was getting on the field. They were using him. So for them to cut a guy that they are actively using in Joey Ivy to sign another offensive tackle lets me think that they weren't super comfortable with Cameron Irving, Andrew Wiley, or even Martinez Rankin being ready to step in and play offensive tackle at some point this year if Eric Fisher's injury lingers a little bit longer. Now, the caveat is Sanat is a Raven. He was coming from the Ravens. Maybe they're hoping they can pick up on something that the Ravens were working on this past offseason to all of a sudden turn Lamar Jackson into maybe a real quarterback. (laughs) Um, So that's a possibility. 
and it also just happened to be a position of use in terms of offensive tackle. But I think it's going to be a little bit more to do with their uncertainty at offensive tackle, just because we all watch Cam Irving play. I know he didn't technically allow a lot of pressures according to like the pro football focus stats, but there were multiple times this man just did not look like he could block air when he didn't have anyone to block. He just doesn't look right at offensive tackle. He looks more comfortable inside. I think the Chiefs can see that too. Yeah, they have good reason not to be comfortable in their tackle situation. That's been true all offseason. Uh, but I, this definitely, to me, speaks somewhat to the health of Eric Fisher. Uh, certainly some questions there. You've got to wonder, those groin, linger, groin injuries tend to linger a little bit. Uh, I think Sanat is actually listed at six foot eight, and he is a oh, former basketball player, so maybe he's uh, taking the Demetrius Harris role. <laughs> See, it's just a matter of time before week after week you'll be hearing, you know, the Chiefs swing tackle, basketball player, basketball player, just every week. Guys, that's 11 offensive linemen that the Chiefs currently have on their roster. I would pay attention to that a little bit. That's unheard of to carry that many guys. I get that Fisher's hurt, but that's a lot of offensive line to be carrying. And the Chiefs do have an open practice squad spot right now. If Joey Ivey does not get claimed, he could still find his way onto there. So moving on now, let's get to the five-star reviews. You guys give us great five-star reviews. We're very appreciative of all of those. This week, we had a question in the five-star reviews from mouse 187 says, after this week's 28-10 win, which included three scoreless quarters by the Raiders, is your confidence in the Chiefs cornerbacks raised at all, or is this just chalked up to the Raiders just being the Raiders? I think my confidence had hit an all-time low to start the Raiders game because Bashad Breland was getting beat relatively frequently right out the gate. Kendall Fuller did not look particularly good. And Tyrell Williams is a solid, a very good wide receiver in the NFL. He's not an elite number one wide receiver that should be embarrassing your cornerbacks all over the field like he did to start that game. So my confidence had hit rock bottom. As the game went on, it did rise a little bit. Craig's going to have a little bit more information for you guys, but it seems like Charvarius Ward was allowed to play a little bit more man coverage this week, which he obviously is a much more comfortable than in zone. So he looked better. Bashad Breland still makes plays on the ball. He's a physical corner that comes up and makes tackles, so he's still exactly what I thought he was. He's a not 50-50, but he's a guy that's going to give up some big plays, but he's also going to make plays in the process. Kendall Fuller made some nice stops as the game went on, so they started making plays, but we have to remember we're still talking about a team that's wide receivers are led by Tyrell Williams and Hunter Renfro, so it's not like they were facing the best wide receivers in the league either. Yeah, in the one prediction I really hope that I get wrong, uh, I think on our, our site's prediction post, I said I thought that the Chiefs were just going to try to skate by a corner and stand pat, try to see if they can make it till Moe's back, uh, till Claiborne's in, and, and uh, not make any significant moves. I, I don't think anything's changed. I, I think that they're, you know, they're, they're getting by, uh, and as long as they keep winning, there's a case for that being a somewhat valid strategy, although they're certainly walking a tightrope with even their fourth corner not playing at all this week. Uh, it is it is a, a risky uh, a proposal. I, I think there's a glimmer of hope with the guys that were out there. I, I, I'm not uh, super disappointed uh, in what I've seen from Fuller. He's been fine. Ward's been, you know, Ward. Uh, I do like <laughs> I do like how Breland's played for sure. If there's a, a corner that was in route to earning an extension, it might be him. Uh, but I, I really think that they're – they're trying their best just to get by for now. Again, I, I hope I'm wrong and they make a big move with all the, the smoke that's out there right now. But uh, 
they're getting by. They're two and zero, so you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Charverius Ward got to press this week, and he got to be in man. So that's something that we've talked about multiple times this offseason. Charverius Ward, and even into the end of last season, Charverius Ward doesn't feel a route unless he can get his hands on the receiver. I keep saying that, keep saying that, keep saying that. This week, they let him put his hands on the receivers a little more. They let him kind of play man to his side of the field and zone for some of the rest of the side of the field. Not always, but sometimes. That paid major dividends. Now, granted, he was going up against Ryan Grant, and Darren Waller isolated out against him. He did pretty well this week, though. That's when he's going to be in his best scenario. If you can do that until Mo Claiborne gets here and Spagnolo gets to run the sort of you know schemes that he wants to run on the back end, that's when it can pay off. I want to see a little more consistency out of Kendall Fuller from a coverage standpoint. I love him playing downhill. I love him as a blitzer. I love him against the run. He's unafraid and willing to run the alley and bring guys down. I love that, but I want to see more consistency out of him in coverage. I don't think that we've seen that this year. Email. Uh, If you do not have Twitter, if you do not want to leave a five-star review, or you've already left a five-star review, send us an email at apnerdsquad at gmail.com. This one's from Lincoln Cook. I know Mahomes is still coming back from an ankle issue. I know Tyreek was missing this week, and I know it's still early in the season, but is it too much to say that our boy Patrick LaVon Mahomes did not look very spectacular outside of the second quarter? I have full confidence that he's still going to put up an MVP-type season, but are my expectations at this point too high? So, uh, short answer, yes. Your expectations are unreasonably high if Mahomes (laughs) is not exceeding them at this point. The guy's ridiculous. So every player in the league has times when they're a little bit off or where the opponent kind of has their number. I'd actually argue the fact that he responds in such a big way is a huge positive. Think about the AFC Championship game, the second half versus the first half. And again, this week, you can keep a great player down for a short period of time, but the elite ones are the ones that can come back and dominate before it's too late. That's what Mahomes is doing now. So I, I think it's a positive. I think to start the game, Mahomes just his connection to the wide receivers was a little bit off. You saw that he was clearly still trying to find his footing, getting the ball with that ankle that he was not really willing to step much into throws. He was getting the ball. He was floating a little bit. He was missing some guys. I don't think it's anything to worry about. I know the second quarter, they lit everybody up. But the Raiders were playing the Chiefs the most weird way I've ever seen a team play the Chiefs since Patrick Mahomes (laughs) has taken over. They were attacking the run. They were crashing on any sign of a short play. I've not seen linebackers hanging out five yards from the line of scrimmage against the Chiefs in an incredible long amount of time. The Raiders were coming downhill with safeties, with linebackers over and over again. And you kept seeing the Chiefs like were still trying to force the short passes or these little intermediate passes right over that. In the second quarter, they threw that out and they said, all right, if the Raiders are going to leave these corners on an island one-on-one with no real help, bring the safeties up, we're just going to throw deep over and over and over. And it worked. Third quarter, second half comes around. I don't think Mahomes looked near as bad in the third quarter as he did to start the game. It just Andy Reid started to take his foot off the pedal a little bit. The Chiefs were trying to work in the run a little bit more rather than just throw bombs, run the clock out. So expectations, probably a little too high. But I also don't think the game was as bad as it looks at first glance when you see they only scored in one quarter because of how the Raiders were trying to play them. 
I mean, there are some quarterbacks that would take that entire quarter for a a handful of games. The number of Derek Carr would love a game that was just Patrick Mahomes' second quarter. So, yes, I do think that we're – you know, it's funny that Kansas City goes this many years without a quarterback and then we get into week two of his second season starting and we start to get a little jaded about – him I, and I understand why. Yes, he he didn't look quite as sharp in that first quarter. There, trust me, everybody was freaking out at the end of that first quarter. Patrick Mahomes put all of those concerns to bed immediately. I, he's fine, guys. He's going to be great. So now moving on to Twitter, um, you guys had so many Twitter questions yet again, and I would say a solid half to two thirds of them. We're about this one particular subject. So we are going to start with at P Flum. Have Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew been as invisible slash uninvolved as it seems that they have been? And that's been echoed by countless others here. So the way that we're going to talk about this this week, we're going to split this up. We're going to talk about Matthew and we're going to talk about Clark and we're going to talk about some of the things that we've seen from these guys and try and explain what we've seen so far and tell you guys positives, negatives, things like that. So let's start with Tyron Matthew, Maddie. I think the biggest thing with Tyron Matthew right now is you were not noticing him. And as a coverage player, as a defensive back, that's not always a bad thing. I know everyone's going to point to the defensive pass interference he had down the field. I have to see the whole play in its entirety from a better view but I'm not sold that that was his man. I think he saw it and tried to go make a play. He did a very bad job approaching the ball. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I don't even think he was supposed to be there. And outside that, you're not. it's not like you're seeing Tyron Matthew get beat over and over again like we did last year with whatever they were throwing out there at safety. So it's not like Matthew's been bad. He just hasn't put his fingerprint on top of a game yet. He hasn't been a super dynamic playmaker just yet. And it, is it either because he's not capable of doing it or a team's just avoiding letting him be in the position to do so. I'm leaning towards the latter. Based on what I've seen, he still looks fast. He's processing the game well. He looks to be everywhere. He just isn't the one always making the big plays right now. And I think it's because teams are actively trying to go elsewhere rather than give him the chance to. Yeah, I really hate even entertaining these questions. Um, I mean, God bless you all for for putting them out there. It's it's perfectly fine. You're entitled to the question. we're still waiting on the impact from each of these guys, but neither's approaching anywhere that should raise a level of concern. As far as I'm, as far as I, uh, from where I sit, we'll say it that way. These are premier NFL defenders. I, I there's a chance that Matthew maybe isn't going to be the dynamic playmaker that he was maybe a little bit earlier in his career. Uh, I'm willing to entertain that a little bit, uh, but he's a very quality safety. Uh, and he's there to help prevent big plays as much as he is to make them. So uh, I'll let you guys cover the tape in a little bit more detail. But from what I'm seeing, I, it's ridiculously early to worry about this. Yeah, uh, last week especially, they had Tyron Matthew kind of coming downhill, spinning down quickly to cover Leonard Fournette catching the ball. Now, that wasn't every play. He still played plenty of deep and plenty of split safety looks. But... He was there to try and limit 
catches from Fournette, which he did a good job of. Uh, Fournette had 28 yards receiving, and they wanted to go to him more often than that. Matthew took away a lot of those. Um, this week, Maddie brought up the the deep defensive pass interference. Again, we don't have all 22 yet at the time of this recording. This is uncharacteristically late by the NFL, so get your stuff together, NFL. But uh, we, we don't know what happened on that one just yet. We're going to see it. I will say one of the complaints that I do have about Tyra Matthew, I expected him to be a little more savvy with his blitzes so far. He seemed to kind of just kind of take up space so far in blitzes. He hasn't been quite as dynamic coming off of the slot, and he's been blitz plenty. So I, I would like to see a little more creativity, you know, try and slip behind some guys, use his small stature to hide behind Chris Jones, hide behind Xavier Williams, you know, Frank Clark, and try and slip a gap rather than maybe, you know, telegraphing the the blitz a little more and, and not resulting in an impact there. Now, Frank Clark. Frank Clark has, at the time of this recording, two solo tackles, one tackle for loss, one interception that 90% of Chiefs fans haven't seen, and zero quarterback hits. Let's start with something to be concerned about, about Frank Clark, because this is, this is the number one thing. Frank Clark is one of the highest paid players on this team. What's something to be concerned about, Matty? So I think with Frank Clark, the big thing is I thought he played well the first week, even though there wasn't much stats to back it up besides the interception. I thought he played pretty well. This week against Oakland, I don't think that he played bad, but I thought that he didn't play. He was the same thing with Matthew. He wasn't as dynamic as you thought he'd be. And given his position, he's often in a position to make more plays. He doesn't need the offense to come at him for him to make a big play. He can always be the aggressor. That's what a pass rusher can do. So from that standpoint, I'm a little disappointed that Frank Clark did not look dominant against Colton Miller, a guy that literally made hit a film of Frank Clark versus Colton Miller last year may have been criminal. Like that may be enough to put somebody in jail, even on a football field that was so bad for Colton Miller. This year, Frank Clark was significantly less dominant. and wouldn't even go anywhere near dominant in what he did against Colton Miller. Part of that's going to be scheme related and what the goal was, but I do think that's something you just know. I don't think concern is the right word, but you have to note that he did not dominate Colton Miller physically, speed, strength, anything. He did not dominate him like he was able to last year. Stags, do you have something to be concerned about with Frank Clark? Anything that jumped out at you? Yeah, I mean, certainly that uh, both weeks he was facing inferior offensive linemen and, and wasn't really able to assert his will. I, some concern there. I mean, I definitely saw a lot of attention sent his way on the defensive line. Uh, so maybe there's another minor thing to be concerned about is if offenses are putting that much attention on stopping Clark from wrecking their game, then you've got to have others stepping up and making plays. So this isn't necessarily a Frank Clark thing, but if that's what's going on, um, then we need to see Oak Four and, and everybody else uh, making a lot more plays uh, if it's not going to be Clark uh, and vice versa. If, if that's not what's going on, then we need to see Clark get there. <clears throat> Again, I think he'll get there. I'm not worried about it at this point. Yeah, and I think that he even looks less aggressive than he did in preseason. So, I mean, I think we've even seen him in a Chiefs uniform 
on the field looking more aggressive, attacking the tackle a lot differently. It seems like, and I know that a lot of this is probably because the Jaguars and the Raiders were very focused on getting the ball out as quickly as possible, particularly to the flats. And Frank Clark got out to the flats in a hurry on a lot of plays. So I think maybe the the game plan kind of forced their hand a little bit. Frank Clark wasn't teeing off as much, but that doesn't excuse some of these third and 14, third and 10 situations where it really was Frank Clark matched up against Colton Miller and he still wasn't, didn't seem as aggressive, dynamic, rushing the passer. Uh, I'm with these guys. I think it'll get there, but it is something to at least note right now. So, Stags, what's something to be excited about about Frank Clark right now? So I'm gonna, I'm a broken record here, but it's it's two games into a brand new defense with with more <laughs> new starters than returning players, uh, completely new rotation. So. I, I'm excited to see how it comes together as it evolves over the season. They've been a little more vanilla than we thought they were going to be early on. Uh, so as as Spagnuolo continues to mix in more, uh, they, they add more stunts, they add more blitzes. Um, I think we're going to see overall team defense um, throughout the season. And even as a team defense so far, they're already feeling, you know, uh, less hopeless than we felt in the past. So uh, I'm excited about them as a as a team, as a unit coming together with, with Clark being a part of that, again, even if it's not the big individual stats that he's racking up. The Chiefs have now won both their games by multiple scores. The opponents that the Chiefs are playing are not keeping up with them. The two opponents have thrown a lot of short passes. They've gotten the ball out quick. They have tried to keep the ball, keep the Chiefs' defense or offense off the field. They have not really given the Chiefs' pass rush a chance to really pin their ears back and make a lot of plays. The Raiders, when they had to start getting the ball downfield, they got two picks. They got multiple sacks against them. Now, not by Frank Clark, but by other players. What you've seen so far is two teams try to take away the Chiefs' pass rush and then try to keep the ball out of the offense's hands, and it's simply not working. The Chiefs are putting up points. As the year goes along, teams are going to get desperate to try to score 28, 35 points to keep up with the Chiefs. You're going to have to. You're not going to hold them consistently below 26. It hasn't happened yet. You're going to have to score against the Chiefs. As teams realize that, they're going to get away from that short, quick passing game a little bit more. That gives the guys a bigger chance to get after the passer. Frank Clark no longer has to buzz out on these screens. He no longer has to try to check running backs that they're going to get immediate dump-offs. He can really get after the quarterback. You just hope you start to see that a little bit more as the season goes on as offense has got to get more aggressive against the Chiefs. Uh, and on top of that, Frank Clark has been outstanding against the run. Frank Clark, to the side of the field that he's lined up in the B, C, and D gaps. That's three gaps. That's He's not responsible for all three of those gaps, but he can align over those three gaps. Just those three gaps for this season, 2.5 yards per carry towards him. That's that's ludicrous. Teams do not want to run at him. Teams are running play action away from him. They are trying to throw misdirection at him. This is something that they they really 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 are are focusing on taking Frank Clark away. So, 
Uh, before we get to the next question, do we have breaking news? We do, in fact. I think this is stags to break. <laughs> well, Maddie, this is uh, news that you were waiting to hear. Maybe not the results you were looking for, but uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have agreed to trade a 2020 first-round pick to the Dolphins for Mika Fitzpatrick. Whew. 2020 first-round draft pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. Pittsburgh is 0-2, you guys, with a quarterback that's done for the season. That's going to be a very high draft pick. So wait, how does yeah, that affect Steven Nelson? <laughs> Sorry. The, the Chiefs give somebody else that give Steve, somebody oh, no. that Steven Nelson can cover on his own team. If you guys didn't see that in week 1, Steven Nelson is covering his own man in the end zone. This is this is wild to me because I mean, one, there's no way the Chiefs were going to be able to match a Steelers without Big Ben. No dra- way. First round draft pick. Like this is about as good of a draft pick as the Dolphins could actually. The Dolphins might end up with a higher draft pick off this than they spent on Mika Fitzpatrick. It's entirely possible. So this is perfect for Miami. The Chiefs couldn't match. There's nothing the Chiefs could do without sacrificing their whole draft to make this move. So we might as well just talk about it now. As I do think we probably have a Mika Fitzpatrick question coming up. We I do. would have traded a first round pick for him in a heartbeat. I would have traded a first in Ragland, a veteran player we don't need. I would have gone for Minka Fitzpatrick over Jalen Ramsey, over any other corner. I love the rookie deal. I think playing for the future, it allows Kendall Fuller to be expendable for you because Minka Fitzpatrick is a better slot corner. If you can't play him outside, I think it's a win now and help you in the future move. Steelers kind of snaked underneath the Chiefs and snagged them. I do think the Chiefs were probably interested. However, at the end of the day, we couldn't trade a potential top 10 pick to get Minka Fitzpatrick. So we can't even be upset about this because there's no chance the Chiefs could imagine it. Not at all. And, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick is a guy that that we loved, frankly. We, we did. We thought that he would have made an impact on this team. I thought he could have played a boundary zone corner for this team. But, guys, you can't, you can't give up that kind of asset at this juncture this team needs to win now minka fitzpatrick does have a year in the league in in miami but you'd be gambling on him being an outside corner in this scheme if you're going to give up that kind of asset there are probably going to be other outside corners in this league that uh that they can take a look at so with that being said, uh, going back real quick here before we take a break, last question. At David Maeda 7 asked, do you guys want to revisit your sacks prediction for this Chiefs defense after the first couple weeks? For those who may have not have listened, we all were in the maybe 48 to 52, 53 range, very similar to last year. Close, maybe no cigar to what the Chiefs did last year, but... He asked, do we want to revisit that sack prediction after the first two weeks? Yeah, I'm not sure I was there the day you made the uh, predictions, uh, but uh, you can put me down for 47. Uh, That's seventh in the league last year. To me, that feels about right. So I'm not revising that down at this point. And, hey, they're trending in the right direction. How many sacks do they have week one? One, right? They had one. How many do they have week two? Well, that's three, Three. so next week, five. Yeah. (laughs) It's just math. Yeah. Maddie. Yeah, I think I'm going to stay strong right now. Like I said, I think we played two teams that very much thought that they could limit the Chiefs' ultimate scoring output and then do just enough, and I don't think – I think teams are going to realize you can't do that against the Chiefs. 
I think the sack number is going to keep increasing as the year goes on. Offenses are going to get desperate. I think Therese Paylor's talked about this a lot. Teams, when you go up against amazing offenses, they get desperate. They have to do different stuff than they normally would do. You can't just go out and run an offense designed to score 21, 24 points against the Chiefs. You have to do things out of the ordinary. That's going to result in teams pressing, giving up more pressures, trying to make bigger plays to keep up with the pace of the Chiefs set. I feel plenty confident in saying that the Chiefs will be just fine in terms of getting pressure. No, I'm not coming off of that prediction. Last year, the Chiefs team that had 52 sacks had precisely two sacks in week two and four after week three. The Chiefs have already matched what they had in week three last year, and they played against quick passing, run first offenses. The teams coming up here, you know, Baltimore, Detroit, Indianapolis, Houston, these guys all hang on to the ball a lot longer. We may see the sack explosion start to happen over the next few weeks. So keep an eye on that. And we will be back with more of your questions right after this break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, coming back here at Dommy Love 91. What is the team doing with Reggie Ragland? Reggie Ragland's been inactive for both of the Chiefs' regular season games here. They are simply not playing him. I don't know what the rationale is. <laughs> Darren Lee has been their Sam linebacker. He, it, it surprises me to see Darren Lee be used as the base run-stopping linebacker more than anything else but that's what they're doing and he hasn't been terrible at it like I'm not saying that Reggie Ragland needs to play over him just I did not really see that kind of coming well let me take correct myself Darren Lee is playing in the base more as a will but he's coming off the field like a Sam normally would do yes so I had to correct myself here and walk it back but Reggie Ragland just simply does not have a place to be used on the team in its current state right now so they're not activating him because he doesn't play special teams I think it's pretty simple at this point in time 
It is. We've had questions about his fit in this defense from day one. I mean, they, they all along tried to get faster, more versatile at the linebacker positions. Those are not words you typically use to describe Reggie Ragland. Uh, you know, optimistically, I could say maybe it's a it's a it's a uh, week by week game plan sort of deal where they're they're planning to use him against certain run heavy teams or other matchups they like. Uh, otherwise, he'll be inactive until he gets cut. He's backup linebackers that don't play special teams are just expendable, and that's that's a sad truth. Yeah, that's that's the absolute case. Um, and it's worth noting that. Ben Neiman has been the guy to come on this week in the dime, replacing Anthony Hitchens. So uh, Darren Lee, we kind of suspected, was going to be the coverage linebacker throughout this entire, you know, since they traded for him, comes down to week two. Now all of a sudden, Ben Neiman is the guy that's out there next to Daniel Sorensen, kind of playing off-ball linebacker. Sorensen's playing that kind of box safety linebacker hybrid and that's what they've been going to in the dime. So there's just really not a place for Reggie Ragland unless he's playing teams. And Ben Neiman's a better special teamer. So is Dorian O'Daniel. So is Damian Wilson. So is Darren Lee. They're just There's just not room for him on the active roster. Speaking of linebackers, at SNM 79, had our linebackers play improved enough so far, covering crossing routes, taking decisive angles to the gaps? I honestly do feel like the linebacker play is significantly improved. They are triggering downhill significantly faster. They are moving to the ball, rallying to the ball better. There's a great play that I'm going to be highlighting this week. Uh, Darren Lee from the Will linebacker role absolutely blew up a fullback in the gap and and really kind of forced uh, the running back to take a different angle that was then kind of cleaned up by the Chiefs' other linebackers there. Anthony Hitchens looks looks faster to process, not necessarily faster on the field, but faster to process. And Damian Wilson also looks like a guy, maybe not this week, but in week one, that was a, a very strong force against the run, setting the edge, blowing things up. They just look like they are all on the same page. They're all playing faster, and they all understand each other's responsibilities and are relying on each other to handle those responsibilities. It just seems like a much more cohesive unit this year. I think you nailed it there. They're playing faster mentally for sure. It's 100%. It's almost a night and day difference how quickly they are diagnosing where they're supposed to go and there's not a second guessing when they're supposed to be there. Yeah, they're still making bad decisions at times because every NFL player is going to do that from time to time. And not even a bad decision, just they're going to get beat. But it's easy to pinpoint why it happened, who kind of lost control of their gap, or what you should have done differently because the play is more structured than what it was last year. So Hitchens, Wilson, between the tackles, those two guys are doing a lot, really good job. I think anything between the tackles, whether runs or even passes, where they're just sliding back into coverage, I do think they're doing a pretty good job there. I still have issues with our linebackers in coverage. I think even Darren Lee got beat on a corner route early in the game. Ben Neiman then kind of came in to play a dime linebacker role. I still He's good in coverage, but again, it's the same issue persists. He's not particularly super athletic. And I think the Chiefs at some point in time are going to be exposed a little bit with their ability of their linebackers to carry athletic tight ends or slot receivers vertically to pick up on crossing routes. I think you've seen those weaknesses start to show in minor details, but I think it's going to get bigger as the year goes on and people realize the Chiefs still don't have much speed out there at linebacker on the field at one time. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they seem to be trying out all kinds of different combinations, trying to see you know who, who can cover. Um, and I, I really like what Wilson's done. Uh, Lee's been okay. Yeah, the, the his usage has been really odd, um, but uh, the Neiman decision has been really interesting. Again, I just feel like they're trying out different combinations, different guys at different spots. Definitely not how we predicted them to be, but they're definitely better, uh, more decisive. But yeah, not quite there when it comes to coverage yet. But I'm not sure that too many teams in the league have spectacular cover linebacker situations. So it just might be one of those things where they're improved. It's never going to be great uh, to make up the difference mm-hmm. with, sa- with safeties. And for what it's worth, they, they've definitely put significantly more safeties on the field with Spagnola this year than he has in his past. So they, they also recognize that in those third and long situations that they need to have better coverage guys on the field. That's why you're seeing Neiman. That's why you're seeing Dan Sorensen in those roles. At Brawlings 4, with Tyreek's recent, recent extension, many are saying this is Sammy Watkins' last year with the team. Is that a foregone conclusion? Personally, I would hate for the Chiefs to lose Sammy. He's a great receiver. It's, it's not a foregone conclusion. It's not a done deal by any means. I mean, his contract is structured in such a way that there's a big decision after this year. Uh, but there's plenty of scenarios that could lead them uh, to keeping him around. He'd surely need a lower cap number. But, you know, it's, it's doable if both sides want to. And it's certainly possible that both sides will the way things are going right now. I think – so here's the thing. I think Sammy Watkins is very much worth keeping around. I don't know if they are going to be able to restructure him. I think Watkins likes being in Kansas City. He likes the offense that he's in. He's getting to play a more free, natural role for him than what he's had to do the last couple years in Buffalo and with the Rams. So I think if there is a chance, I think there's, or I do think there is a chance that he will restructure, take a little bit less money next year to stay here as long as he gets to be here longer. And I think the Chiefs absolutely positively should do it. One thing that did kind of stick out to me, though, for this game against the Raiders, and it's the one hesitation I would have about making sure they keep Sammy Watkins, as good of a route runner as he is, he's very technical. He does a great job running his routes, understanding the coverages he's going up against and how to adjust his routes. Him and Patrick Mahomes are not on the same page when the route has to change at all. They see things just differently. And every week you have a play where Sammy makes a cut one way and Mahomes throws the ball slightly somewhere else. And I think it's just Sammy Watkins doesn't improvise routes extremely well. He's going to run essentially what he's supposed to run based on what he's seeing. And Patrick plays a little bit more loose. You see guys like Demarcus Robinson, Tyree Kill, at some point in time, they just take off and just kind of do their own thing. But Pat's on the exact same page as them. It doesn't seem like Sammy Watkins is that type of wide receiver. Maybe he's still going to grow into that but he seems a lot more just technically refined and he's going to do it robotically rather than loose. And that would be the one hesitation I could see the Chiefs having for really gearing up and paying him a lot of money too. I still think they should, just that's one hesitation I could see. Uh, you heard it here first. Uh, Sammy Watkins is right. Patrick Mahomes is wrong. Maddie wants Patrick Mahomes off this team. No, <laughs> I... 
Sammy Watkins is a very key ingredient to this. We we saw week one what he did to that Jaguar secondary. When Tyreek Hill comes back, he's going to be even more dangerous. The Raiders focused on taking him away and him away in the biggest way possible, so much so that everybody else catching the ball basically went off for the Chiefs. So uh, you can't you have to have a guy like that on the field that can make teams have to respect you. At Menace Red 12 asked, so the Raiders could keep a handle on Von Miller and Chubb, but not Chris Jones. Is that how good Chris Jones is? And is that a good sign for things to come? Chris Jones, for those who don't know, had six hurries this week or six pressures this week, a sack, a run stuff, and a PBU. That is an outrageous stat line for a defensive tackle. Chris Jones was on fire this week. He was very clearly winded at the end of the game. He's still working himself back into that full game shape. You know, we've talked about multiple times that Chris Jones maybe doesn't have the gas tank to be able to go longer than maybe 60% of the snaps. They're trying to get the most out of him this year while still rotating in Emmanuel Ogba and Tano passing. No, but my goodness, Chris Jones you know, getting one-on-one matchups with Jordan Devy. Well, guys, Chris Jones won basically all of those. So he, he was really, really great this week. The contract year is undefeated, man. He, he's he's going to be uh, uh, – he's going to have a huge season again. And I, I do think he's going he's gonna to benefit from some of that extra attention paid to, paid to Clark like we talked about earlier. Um, I, think, I think you're just, just scratching the surface of, of Jones for this season – He's just getting going. And once he gets on a roll, you saw how many consecutive games did he have with a sack last year. I mean, this this could, yeah. be, the, this could be the beginning of that roll for, for 2019, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I think that the difference kind of between what Chubb and Miller, Frank Clark even, versus Chris Jones here is just where they're playing along the offensive line. The Raiders very much are protecting their offensive tackles with a quick passing game. They shoot a lot of passes out into the flats, a lot of screens, a lot of quick slants. The defensive ends really have no chance to get to the quarterback, so it's better for them to peel off to try to knock the balls down, little stuff like that. So that kind of can show you why a team can block a great edge rusher, better than an interior guy who has a little bit more direct path. He was going against Jordan Devy a lot of the times, who is a fringe NFL starter at best, if we're being kind to the ex-chief here because we love his haircuts. So it's not like he had a super hard matchup, but he played exceptionally well during it. And Chris Jones is a fantastic top-end elite football player. There should be no surprise that he's going to dominate a favorable matchup. Yeah, and let's keep in mind, because Kent's not here, so I'm going to hit it while it is. Jordan Devy starting for the Raiders this year. All year long, gets the Chiefs back a fourth-round compensatory pick. So Kent right now is listening to this and he's losing his mind. Fun fact, Kent follows an NFL compensatory formula Twitter account. <laughs> he does. He absolutely does. At PD San Chief, why was the interior of the offensive line, uh, why did it appear to be failing in the run game? It wasn't just the interior offensive line. It was the entire <laughs> offensive line. However, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I have not seen a team like play the Chiefs like the Raiders did where they were crashing so aggressively on absolutely every single short pass or run action the Chiefs were throwing out there. I don't think the Chiefs blocked particularly well. They could have had more success than they did have. But 
The Raiders were flying to the line of scrimmage anytime something looked to be not a deep pass or even on a deep pass, they were flying towards the line of scrimmage. So it's just take it with a grain of salt. The run game looked a lot better last week for Jacksonville, who I'd say has a much more talented defense. I think the Raiders went out of their way to try to disrupt the Chiefs' short passing attack, their run game, because they were probably thinking Patrick Mahomes was going to be a little bit more limited than he ended up being there in that second quarter. Yeah, I still think this unit has a lot to prove. Um, I mean, the Chiefs really have gone cheap there over the last couple of years uh, with guys like Wiley and uh, Ryder. So I... I think it's still to be proven whether or not those guys can can really play. I think you get by with them. I think Mahomes makes them look better than they are because of his uh, elusive ability and his ability to get the ball out and deliver it when things are not ideal around him. Uh, but you'd sure like to see more out of those guys. I think it's a it's a developing concern. Uh, you hope to see them mesh later in the season, but uh, at this point, there's there's a question mark there. Yeah, I I singled out Austin Ryder uh, this week as needing to have a good game, and he did not. Uh, but then again, neither did Cam Irving, neither did Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley had a couple plays that I can remember off the top of my head that, that were just not great. Uh, they definitely were selling out to stop the run, but this Chiefs team under Andy Reid has never been particularly good at just lining up and you know winning with power overwhelming guys you know really doing uh, winning in the trenches there he tends to prefer or prefer athletic guys that can get out into space that can work with his screen game which we know works really really well but you don't really tend to find guys that are that good blend of being able to anchor and win against power as well as being able to get out in the screen game often it is a concern. There was no room for those running backs to run this week. They do still need to be able to run the balls, you know, efficiently to make teams respect that a little bit. We'll have to see going forward if they're able to block a little better. At, Would you say they went for quantity over quality given the current construction yes. of the roster? I, I I would say right now they have a significant they have an abundance of offensive linemen that only a couple of them are genuinely good at football. So, yeah, that we'll see. And one of them may have a groin injury. At Kip Daniel, will McCole Hardman be the last wide receiver Kansas City takes in the first two rounds? Let's just call it early in the draft for the next decade. Robinson was a fourth rounder, and he went off this week. It seems like Patrick and Andy can get the ceiling out of their receivers Patriots have kind of approached this using high picks on defense and offensive line for the past 15 years with Brady and, you know, resulting in free agent pickups at wide receiver rather than draft picks. Well, the the Patriots have used some early round draft picks on wide receivers that they haven't panned out really well. Uh, But I'm going to I'm going to say, no, there's no way that that Reed and Veach can resist uh, just stacking weapons around Mahomes. They've shown no signs of. Uh, getting by at receiver um, when you had Hill uh, they went out and got Watkins when you had Hill and Watkins they went out and got McCall uh, they're, they're going to keep stacking weapons around him so absolutely not yeah I'd, I, I'm, I'm there as well especially in this upcoming draft class which is an excellent wide receiver class Matt Lane will be upset if the Chiefs don't pick up one of these great wide receivers in this next class he he will riot i'm speaking for him right now but 
I, I do think that they they have put a focus on surrounding him with talent. They're not going to just you know force themselves to go with players off the scrap heap. So I, I definitely think that they're still going to continue to pour assets into that, especially as wide receivers get more and more expensive. I think early round wide receivers are the ones that, I mean, I, any position pans out more when you take them earlier. I think wide receivers kind of push itself to the point to where you can pretty accurately predict who is really going to turn it on in the NFL at some point in time. Like I don't, I think if you watch enough wide receivers, you can figure out who's good, who needs time to develop to be good, and just simply who isn't coming out of college. So I don't think you need to wait. It's not running back where any random player from round four can work. It's wide receiver. <laughs> the position matters. It's one of the most important offensive positions to have at least one really good one. Now, to Craig's point, I don't think the Chiefs should be looking for a wide receiver early in next year's draft if they bring back Sammy Watkins. There's no need to. If they don't bring back Sammy Watkins at this point in time, if they do opt to cut him or release him to save some money, then, yeah, you know, we can take wide receiver one C.D. Lamb at the end of the first round if we still have that pick, <laughs> um, if if he lasts that long. But, uh, no, I, there's no chance the Chiefs don't draft the wide receiver in the first two rounds of the next 10 years. It just simply will not happen for any team in the NFL. And we, we got to remember, Demarcus Robinson's problem wasn't talent. He didn't fall to the fourth round because of talent. So uh, Demarcus Robinson, maybe not the best comparison for a fourth rounder there. At Wichita Chief Sam, who will be the week three dominant receiver performance after Watkins week one and Robinson week two? Maddie, what do you think? Oh, it's going to be Watkins again. Yeah, same here. I'm going with I'm going with Sammy Watkins. I don't. I think that he's going to be the best guy to beat man coverage. It, uh, it's Watkins for me. I'm gonna go with my guy, McCole Hardman. Uh, mm. Maddie, <laughs> Maddie's been a hater <laughs> since day one, but uh, uh, McCole start. McCole's starting to get his opportunities, uh, and he's and he's starting to capitalize. You could see him getting coached on and off the field during the game making some adjustments, figuring out some routes. Uh, I, I think I think he's going to be better and better as the season goes on. So, My man still runs two routes. No, I, I thought about saying McColl just because I do think teams are still going to pay more attention to Kelsey and Watkins. I think the Raiders showed you that they're going to pay more attention to Watkins. My one holdup was Earl Thomas is an NFL veteran. He's playing for the Ravens. He understands what rare speed looks like to let McColl just run by him while he stands still with his feet stuck in a sand trap like the Raiders' young safety did, I just don't see happening. And that's really, that's how McColl's going to beat you. He's going to catch you with his speed vertically. I just happen to think Earl Thomas is good enough not to let that happen. That was my only yeah. hold up with that one. Right, right. And that that out that McColl ran it isn't going to beat anybody. That was, that was rounded, and he didn't explode out of it, but he did look really good running that post. He you looked good on the go it. as well. That 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 go that he ran w- was good, catching the ball with a guy hanging on him. So I, there, there's promise there, but yeah, Earl Thomas over the top of that might nullify some of that. Um, at KU fan 31, which player are you most impressed with that an average fan wouldn't pick up on? This, this is an interesting one. Ooh, this is kind of hard. I'm going to still go with LaShawn McCoy, and I do think that it's kind of on the fringe of an average fan picking up on or not. But I think even with a ho-hum game, he still had a couple runs where I think his, his rare vision still shows. His ability to see holes that aren't exactly there or his knowledge to know when to just tuck his shoulder and drive into a blocker's backside and pick up a half a yard 
instead of waiting for something to happen. So when he blends in vision, patience, and then when just to go and pick up whatever's available, I think it's incredible. And I liked what I've seen. Hopefully his ankle injury isn't too big because he's clearly their best pure runner, I think, right now. I'm going with Emmanuel Ogba. Emmanuel Ogba has looked very good rushing the passer from the inside. He picked up a sack this week, but he's lined up as a defensive tackle, as a defensive end. He showed so much more burst this week coming off of the edge. I, I had to check the number a couple of times. I had to, I had to replay it because I thought maybe it was Okafor, but he looks more comfortable. He looked a little labored early on this year, and he even said that that he was working through a little bit of an injury. He looks healthy. He looks pretty good. He had good run stuff, good sack. I am really encouraged by what I'm seeing from him rushing the passer and being kind of a, a rotational defensive end and a third down defensive tackle. I'll go with Juan Thornhill here. I, I think the the guy has been he hasn't yet really made that big splash play uh, either. Uh, so so I think you know the the box score scout and all of us uh, is looking for the the interceptions. We're looking for the big plays. Uh, but Thornhill, you know the range, the instincts, the closing ability. You know he's he's shown it all, and I haven't seen any big boneheaded rookie plays uh, really out of him yet from what I've seen. So. Uh, really like how he's developing into just a, a really reliable part of the defense, even if you, it hasn't shown up in the box score quite yet. All right. Uh, two more questions here. At Mall 4 presented this sliding doors scenario. Instead of the trade for Frank Clark, the Chiefs have would have potentially drafted Byron Murphy, extended Chris Jones, and traded a third for Jadavian Clowney. Do we like that defense better than the current defense, Matty? Well, this current defense still has Chris Jones, so that's a complete wash. I think it then comes down to the difference between Jadavian Clowney and Byron Murphy versus Frank Clark. I think the Chiefs let you very much know, as did the NFL in terms of trade compensation, that they liked Frank Clark better than Jadavian Clowney. I think that seems to be pretty clear that the NFL, even if some efficiency numbers from somebody don't line up with that or a personal opinion, it seems like the NFL has made it quite clear that Frank Clark is seen as the better player in terms of just the value that people were willing to give up for them. Now, you could argue with the teams that did so. Just It seems pretty clear. So then it's just a matter of, is that gonna, is that improvement from Clowney to Clark worth not having Byron Murphy? It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, when you're going to compare three players to just essentially two players with Jones and Clark, it seems like the three players would be better. But I like what the Chiefs are setting up for in the future. I think Frank Clark is a real future like linchpin of this defense. I'm not sure Jadavian Clowney would, see, would be seen as the same way based on just everything you kind of heard coming out of Houston and just the lack of faith that the Texans had in him and little things like that. So long term, I think I would prefer the Frank Clark move as of right now. I think the Chiefs still can fix the quarterback spot. Yeah, it's those additional moves that are that are hopefully coming uh, that you know the leave us hope here. I, I, this would be tempting mostly because of Byron Murphy because I really liked his game coming out. Um, so it gave me pause at least to think about it. With all the additional capital that you'd free up, it might make some sense. But you're going to have to pay Clowney as much as you're you're paying Clark, um, and so it's it's not necessarily. 
uh, better from a cap perspective. Uh, and we'll see what they do with Chris Jones. They might extend him anyway. They might They might not. Um, I don't know that those things were necessarily tied together. So to me, it's, it's it, yeah, Murphy and Clowney versus Clark and whoever they add at corner. Um, that's mostly a wash depending on what happens. Yeah, for me, uh, this comes down to mentality. Brett Veach, Steve Spagnuolo wanted to change the mentality of this defense. That's why they went out and got Tyron Matthew. That's why they went out and got Frank Clark. Regardless of what you think of his on-field play, the intensity of that defense has definitely risen between Spagnuolo, that coaching staff, and those two players. We've heard multiple reports, including Therese on his podcast, talk about how Jadavian Clowney not necessarily a good locker room guy. Like, there, there's some off-field stuff there that they kind of alluded to. Listen, Chris Jones, I love him, but he's not necessarily a, a stand-up, get-aggressive locker room guy. And Byron Murphy never really had that sort of mentality, that kind of killer instinct that Frank Clark does. I think by adding Clark, you change the mentality, not just for this year, but for future years. I still think that you you wouldn't have something with Jadavian Clowney. I think that Clark will be better than Clowney this year. So I, it's Clark in a landslide for me. Our last question, at Volmer underscore Josh, and lots of other people ask things like this. How much do we pressure or not pressure Lamar Jackson, and do you think? how do you think we'll fare against the Ravens' offensive scheme? Guys, coming at the end of this week, we are going to break down the Ravens in our second pod of the week. We're going to go through the ins and outs. We're going to discuss what they do on defense. We're going to discuss what they do on offense. I'm excited to write about the pistol offense this week. We'll get into all of that stuff. We appreciate you so much for listening. But if you had a question about the Ravens, we will get to it later this week. We're not ignoring you. So thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And uh, we'll see you later on this week. Pray for Craig's voice.